Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me today is the man who is currently under a court order to stay 100 feet away from Scarlett Johansson, Mr. Ryan Siebold. What's up, Jason? Welcome back, buddy. Welcome, welcome, buddy, and welcome to all of the listeners. Uh, yeah, dude, what is uh, what, what what was it with Miss Johansson there? Why'd you uh, get slapped with that uh, restraining order? Man, that girl was getting under my skin. I was following <laughs> around. I thought this was something she liked. I bought a white van, uh, <laughs> sitting, outside, <laughs> sitting outside her house for hours on end, waiting for her to come out. Uh, you know, I thought that was a part of the deal. I saw this movie. I was like, oh, I know. I finally know how I could get a date with Scarlett Johansson and uh, totally backfired. Uh, not, sure, <laughs> not sure, you know, what she wanted. Uh, I got to go back to the drawing board and uh, see what's going on. <laughs> this is fantastic information because for so long, we've often looked at the creep white van and figured that you know it was some super shady character in there lo and behold it's just a heartfelt attraction and maybe yeah. you know it, it well, was, it so was a thought. misstep but it was made with the best of intentions you're probably sitting in this so unmarked thought, van with a uh, bouquet of flowers you know writing a love poem and here she has the gall to call the cops on you what the hell is that yeah I mean, I, I left letters in her in her mailbox that just said, sun's getting real low, little girl. Sun's getting real low, little girl, written over and over again in cursive. And uh, again, uh, I only have to go off of what I've seen in the movies. And that's what I thought she liked. You went through the painstaking <laughs> procedure because you know that you don't have the best handwriting. So you went through the painstaking procedure of cutting letters out of magazines so that they were clear and legible <laughs> for her to be able to understand yes. your cryptic messaging and here she just went and stomped all over your heart man i i even went so far as to find magazines she was on the cover of and i was like <laughs> okay she's gonna really like this the thought process that i put into this you know the extra care um nope uh turns out i <laughs> I, I was uh, stripped of my white van. Uh, now I'm riding a bicycle and, uh, you know, I've got to go door to door and like explain things to people <laughs> and hand out note cards. It's a big fucking hassle. But here we are still back on the show. They let me do this Absolutely. Uh, from, uh, with my with my ankle bracelet. Being a degenerate <laughs> is actually one of the requirements for being on this show, which obviously both of us hit the mark very well. So, yeah. But yeah, speaking of having to explain things, uh, this is going to oh, be some Jesus. sort of movie, isn't it, man? Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, today we're doing Under the Skin from 2013, directed by Jonathan Glazier. Uh, this one was a tough one, as I said last week. I did not care for this on the first viewing uh, that I saw this when it first came out on the old uh, Netflix DVD situation. Nice. Uh, this is 
really quickly summarize again i could not find a very long summary probably because the people that write this shit had no idea what was going on <laughs> so <laughs> uh this is on imdb listed as a mysterious young woman seduces lonely men in the evening hours in scotland however events lead her to begin a process of self-discovery that's all they give you and I, so i went on rotten tomatoes i'm like okay let's see what they got Jack shit. I think they put the word voluptuous in there, which is weird. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, I went on iTunes or Apple or whatever, and same thing. It's all just these two sentence deals. And so, um, yeah, skip the summary. This is one of those uh, films where you just kind of got to, it's more about themes than uh, plot. And so there's not much really to plot to summarize. I did a pretty deep dive on this one. I hope to come prepared. I, uh, If I'm going to watch this film again, because I didn't care for it the first time, I really wanted to give it a good go. So I hope I bring something to the table today with a little bit of insight on what the fuck is happening in this movie. Uh, Jason, what'd you think about this movie? So, dude, I'm going to say, and, and, and I'm not 100% sure if you if you liked it better the second time around or not, but I really I enjoyed this movie, dude. I really enjoyed yeah. this movie. Um, and it's, it's not a perfect film, uh, but it, and it's definitely, it's like so many of the films that we look at on this show. It's not for everybody, but by now, if you're listening to this show and expecting films that are for everybody, you're listening to the wrong show. That's just, that's not what we're looking at. Right. So it's definitely for a, dare I say, esoteric audience. Uh, No, no. I mean, as I was watching this, I thought this is actually a really good movie for this show. There's a lot to pick apart. Uh, there's a lot of layers to this onion. Um, and, uh, you know, this was a very I, I I think I texted you right after I was through watching it that uh, I haven't been this conflicted about a film in a long time. Yeah. Um, but as I started to do the deep dive and, and pull back those layers, I really learned to appreciate it um, for starters. And we'll get, you know, get into this here shortly. But just really quick, uh, the DP, Daniel Landon, crushes. Absolutely. The score. Um, is bananas. Mm-hmm. Everything uh, technically about this film, the acting, um, the the timing, all of it is is it's a very well made film. Technically, uh, you just really have to be okay with a very little dialogue yep. and b figuring some stuff out and looking for themes. It's a show don't tell film, so they're not. There's no exposition dumps. There's no real explanation to what's going on. You just have to thematically really pick these things out. It's also a film that, uh, in my case uh, specifically, uh, is great for repeat viewing. Uh, The reason why I'm conflicted about it is because from an entertainment standpoint, there isn't really enough going on to warrant a second viewing. Like after you're through watching this, you're not stoked about watching it again. And so um, I'll also add very quickly and then I'll toss it to you. We can start to get into this bitch. Uh, This is a masturbatory film. And what I mean by that (laughs) is uh, on my first viewing, I watched this with other people in the room. This was a group gathering kind of film. So you start to, because it's a very silent film, yeah. because there's very little going on, all of a sudden you start to hear people adjusting in their chairs. All of a sudden you see people checking their phones. You see, you know, there's a, there, you know, a, a simple boredom that kind of washes over certain people at certain, but this isn't a film for everybody. Yeah. Like what you said. Now I watched this the second time all by myself. So I was able to, uh, you know, really settle in and let a lot of these things in my eye holes and get in my brain skull so that I can really absorb the themes more than the plot. And so though there wasn't much going on, there was a lot of underlying things that the director John Glazier was trying to say. So uh, I did like this a lot better the second time. Uh, again, maybe it was because I was, you know, flying solo and, and uh, kind of doing 
doing my own thing, I was able to just kind of settle in and, and, uh, and you know, uh, I'll also be honest and say that I, I did take a couple of breaks where I had yeah. to pause, go use the restroom, walk around. Um, because again, pretty slow film. Uh, anyway, with all that said, uh, let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we get into it, the one thing I do want to let our audience know of is we usually have both a trailer as well as several clips that we intersperse throughout the episode. We're not going to have that over the course of Under the Skin. Now, if you've seen the movie before, you, at, at to Ryan's point, as he just said, it's almost like a silent film. There's not a lot of dialogue. There are a handful of dialogue moments. It's mostly when she's in the car trying to pick people up. I think the only really substantive conversation that happens throughout the entire thing is the one that she has with the disfigured man that she ends up picking up. That's a That's a great scene that we'll get into later. But yeah, so, you know, instead of just playing you one to three minutes of ominous tones. We just decided to go ahead and skip it completely. But that's not to say that, you know, it's it's nothing against the film. It just, again, more relates to the fact that it's a very visually oriented film. To Ryan's point, it's very much show, don't tell. It's going to ask you to do a lot of the work behind it. And yeah, I, I do think you're accurate about something, Ryan, which is that even though it's a metaphorical film, there really aren't too, too many layers to what's going on. I think it's you know, it, it, it tells its story visually and through visual metaphor, but at the same time, I don't think it's a super deep, complex story. Now, I'm also it's interested. Not. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what your findings brought to the table, because. But the metaphors are kind of uh, are kind of deep, you know. It, yeah. It was kind of Kubrickian in that stance. 100 percent. could. Yeah. And I saw that on a lot of uh, I'm going to uh, give credit where credit is due and say that uh, I think it's filmcolossus.com or, or rogerdebert.com. There's a few. Uh, breakdowns of this film that I kind of uh, kibitzed from uh, and just to try to make sure that I was on the right track or see what other people derived from it because mm -hmm. I was curious. Uh, there were things, you know, I took a lot of notes, uh, but then I was like, are other people picking these things up as well? Um, so uh, just credit where due. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, this is basically, and you and I were kind of talking about this going into the episode. This is basically like, uh, you know, a, a twisted Stanley Kubrick makes the little mermaid. Uh, it's a fish out of water <laughs> tale. No pun intended. It's uh, I want to be where the people are. It's a, you know, a, 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 an alien creature starts as one thing and ends as another thing. And, uh, you know, it's obviously ends a little more tragically. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive into this and uh, get started here as we tend to at the beginning. At the beginning. And actually, really quick, before we do get into the beginning, I do just want to plug one thing real quick, and that's, Ryan, are you familiar with the site? Have I told you at all? It's called Canopy with a K. Have I pitched that to you yet? No. So to anybody who's listening and to you as well, Canopy is an online streaming service that is actually 100% free with no advertisements because it's actually tied to the public library. So if you have a library card or if you don't, you can register online and literally get a library card within 30 seconds, a digital one that is. You can go to Canopy, sign in with your library card information, and you're going to get access to a number of films. And, you know, they don't have a lot of the blockbusters and stuff, but they've got a lot of foreign films. They've got a lot of sort of, you know, indie classics, modern classics, etc. The type of films that we look at on here. So to date now, I've seen two films, uh, one being Under the Skin. And then last season, I watched Sweet Sweetback, actually, through Canopy. So again, if you have a library card, go to canopy.com with a K. It's a great site. You can watch a bunch of great films for free. And just wanted to get that out there before we move along. Nice. Yeah. Hot take. Appreciate it. 
faux show. Yeah, what can I do with my Blockbuster card? <laughs> <laughs> you can go to Alaska, I believe, is where the last one is, if it's still there. No, it's in Bend, Oregon. Oh, is it? Oh, it's in Oregon? Oh, well, yeah. you gotta yeah. You, the, the Alaska, the Alaska site unfortunately closed. They just made a whole ah. documentary on Netflix about it called the uh, the Last Blockbuster, oh. and it's fantastic if you haven't seen it. I There's not much to it. Not. It's exactly what you think it is, but it's fun to watch. Awesome. And, uh, I used to work at Blockbuster, so it was a nice uh, blast from the past for me. Funny thing, Ryan, I actually uh, applied and was not called back to Blockbuster. So a little something Dude, about this, Jason, uh, not Blockbuster material. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> fun fact. Uh, when I, that was, I, I'm of the age where Blockbuster was at its peak right when I needed it to be. And it was the cool kids job in a small town. Um, all the cool kids wanted to work there because, you know, it's pretty slack and you just get to rent free movies and shit. And in a small town, that's, you know, a big part of what you did yeah. uh, during the week. So uh, that was hands down, and I mean this with all sincerity, the hardest job I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I worked <laughs> the fuck out of that job. Like, I loved it. It wasn't until the manager made me clean uh, an explosive poop diarrhea situation out of the bathroom, and I refused. <laughs> I said, no, no, for for how much an hour? No, no, th- there's no way. I'm above this, and uh, I got fired, so... Um, <laughs> Whatever. Who's laughing now, bitch? (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and get to this movie here. When the movie starts, we open on pitch black. Now there's silence. And all of a sudden we see a pinpoint of light appear in the middle of the screen. It's at a distance. And it starts to swell, get a little bit larger. Not very quickly, though. Along the way, we've got these sort of wavering strings that kick in. That's starting to become more ominous and swell as well. And then you pretty much immediately jump cut to that same pinpoint, but up closer with a much larger sort of iris. And immediately, you know, it brings to light, no pun intended, images of an eye. And so you're kind of making this allusion to it being an eye. And soon you find out that sure enough, yes, it actually is an eye. And we're watching this eye sort of being created and come together in its different components, right? But it's also, and it's funny that you brought up 2001, Ryan, because immediately that's what I thought of. The funny thing is that yeah. the opening actually reminds me of the end of 2001, the third act, okay. when he's uh, going through and, and the sort of universe is being created. And yeah, you have the, you know, the ominous choir tones, the violins, um, you're yep, getting, you know, all similar. of that colored sort of uh, psychedelic imagery sort of going on. And then, you know, also in the same way where it swells, it swells, it swells, and then just immediately cuts in 2001, that is, to, you know, him being on his deathbed in the bedroom. It's kind of that same yep. thing where it swells and swells and swells and then cuts to the title card. The other thing that mm-hmm. I really liked that they did, too, is the way that we hear audibly syllables start to be formed as if they're being tested a little bit at that grow into full words. And as I tend not to, I didn't really look into what was going on ahead of time. So I, first I wasn't sure is like, Oh, is this an Android situation? That was kind of like what I had thought at first, but then there's a couple things later that indicate, well, no, she's, she's really more of like an alien. Um, But at the same time, you know, who's to say that maybe, the aliens didn't use some sort of Android thing. We'll go into a couple things down the road that I kind of yeah, want to yeah. ask you about. Yeah, I've that. got theories. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, but definitely those heavy, heavy 2001 vibes. And immediately after that, we see a car driving down a winding road. Again, we've got this, you know, abrasive sort of hum frequency. And then there's that really awesome shot of the helmet of the motorcycle Dude, driver is on the so highway. Cool. 
Yeah, very visually appealing. Uh, he stops on the side of the road, parks his bike, walks down this hill, and then comes back with, like, an unconscious woman, right? And he walks it into... He, he walks to a truck, he opens the back of the truck, goes inside with the body, and then all of a sudden we're in a completely different place, right? And it's one of these things, I don't even know, Ryan, if you know what it's referred to technically or otherwise, but um, where it's almost kind of like, you know, the everything is, is is the same color, it's like a box, right? The way that, Almost like the way that you would shoot like a product for a catalog, and it's like white background, white floor, white ceiling, so it's just this vacuum sort of feel, you know? I don't know if you call it like yeah, a light box I mean, or something. Uh, in in uh, in like commercial terms, you know, you would call that from from a uh, behind the scenes look, you'd call that like a psych wall, basically, where what it rolls it? off and you don't have any seams. A psych wall, okay. Um, that's what they call it. Like if you if you're looking for something that has basically that goes from the wall to the floor without any. 90 degree angle and yeah. it just completely rolls off and you could light it as such so that it looks like uh your host or whatnot exists in the in the ether of whatever you yeah. know the, the blanket white light uh that you you would shoot that against what's called a psych wall and that's a wall that basically literally rolls off think of like a skate ramp um okay but all painted white so that you don't have any shadows you don't have any fall off or anything and you could light it as such so yeah, it's a really, really cool and effective visual aesthetic yeah. that they use. And, you know, we've seen it yeah, in I mean, places like this was probably Kill green Bill screen, and, but... You think? Yeah, yeah, probably. Because of how um, luminescent uh, it was and how they interacted with it and were able to set... I think it's more of... This was more of a green screen situation. Don't Got quote it. me on that. But, uh, uh, you know, because you could use that again for the blackness to come, which we'll yeah. get to very shortly. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because uh, they definitely use that aesthetic to, to, to great effect. We've got white in this initial opening scene and obviously it's yep. going to be black with, you know, the other scenes to come a little bit later. But and yeah, so we see this woman. She's fully clothed and everything. But then there's this naked passed out woman on the floor. That's Scarlett Johansson. And the woman that's standing over her basically takes her clothes, her face, her image and everything takes over. Uh, her it was body. not Scar Joe. <laughs> the woman on the floor was not Scar Joe. Just uh, just to clear that up. The woman standing over her that was buck naked that took everything from her was Scar Joe. OK, so wait. So but then what does she take her appearance? She doesn't. She's already got her appearance. Uh, she takes her clothes and shit. So we see the. Okay, so she of, so she just takes her clothes. She doesn't take because I thought that when the the biker, I thought the biker was bringing like the Scarlett Johansson body to the truck. But you're saying it was someone else, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I can get into that if you want, and but with you know that's gonna start to really get into the meat and bone. So. Very quickly, to me, you have, and this is all up for interpretation, but yeah, um, I believe if you get on IMDb, they've got the woman uh, in the credits, the dead woman as Lindsay Taylor McKay, who's okay. a different woman altogether. Gotcha. So she's uh, literally got a credit, and that's how I know that. So, um, uh, by the way, uh, just right up front, I, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, Jason, but uh, none of these characters in the entire film have names. <laughs> yeah. Why is it that often movies we look at on this show have names? Like right. have no name characters. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't know. The lobster. Should we do that? Is that like the cool thing? This one. You'd be like, joining me today is this guy. What's up, this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, it's California, dude. <laughs> it's Florida guy. <laughs> My name is Hmm, and with me as always is Ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, um, so, you yeah. got, uh, so right away, you've got... Um, 
the motorcycle guy getting the retrieving someone from the woods uh, okay. and bringing her up the hill, throwing her in the back of the van. The van goes back um, to the whiteness. Then we cut to the woman on the ground, basically dead or uh, paralyzed in some way, shape or form. Uh, and Scarlet is Scar Joe is standing over the top of her uh, naked and taking things from her to collect. Um, so just to kind of summarize this scene, what we're introduced to um, to me is that uh, you've got the motorcycle guy who's like a henchman slash overseer of sorts who's collecting the uh, we're just going to get right into spoilers, but he's collecting to me the previous Scar Joe who ended up dead and fucked up somehow. Then ScarJo, we see her in the opening sequence of the lens coming together to create the eye, mm-hmm. and then her practicing her words. They're basically generating a new one of these because the last one broke. Sure. <laughs> if yeah, you yeah, think yeah. of it that way. So she's ScarJo is the new one that they've now built uh, skin around this alien thing to go collect all the human belongings from the last one that fucked up that they just had to repossess. And then um, now she's going to take that and carry on the mission. Gotcha. And these motorcycle guys are like the the drone bees, if you will, that go around and make sure uh, that uh, this woman can go and go about her business of seducing men and bringing them back to her lair, more or less. Yeah. And okay. as we get to the end, you'll start to see more humanity get into ScarJo. Sure. And so I only mention that or spoil that. Uh, because to me, I think this movie ends at the beginning and begins at the end. So the prequel to this film might have been that woman's story Correct, who yeah. also got soft, ruined and broken. He found her, collected her, bring her back. Said, oh, fucking shit. Here we go again. And, got, you know, <laughs> and then Scar Joe's yeah. like still stoic and, and robotic, takes all her things and just seamlessly continues the mission because that's the whole thing that she was created for, as we saw in the opening titles. Yeah. So, and yeah, start. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it definitely lends itself to, you know, this theme of sort of like death and rebirth, right? Because once we get to the end of that final shot, it's very much going to reinforce that whole thing that you're talking about. So that makes, so that would make perfect sense that she's just sort of picking up her belongings and just sort of picking up where she left off. So from there, and before we get past this, because I, I, I don't know if you're, are you going to stick around with this? Because there's one thing I want to talk about in this opening scene. Well, here's the thing. So, important. yeah, absolutely. well, here's the thing. So Go ahead. Go I, 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 I want to be able to intersperse the analysis with us moving the story along. Right. Like if we just okay. spend the yeah, entire yeah, yeah. No top worries. of the show talking about the no, different no, right. theories, okay. then it's like we have to end with like 20 minutes of narration. And I just don't want to have exposition. That. So, right. OK. So That's let's fair. move it along a little bit. And then I think I think that we can sort of, you know, just when necessary, call it back. It'll be fine. So from okay. there, the woman gets in the car and we notice right away that she's in the right side of the car. So. Uh, at first, I thought maybe that they were in England. It turns out they're in Scotland. And speaking of which, boy, howdy, those are some thick-ass Scottish accents on a lot of these guys. Yeah, that was an adjustment period. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've talked about before how there's always about, for me anyways, there's like five minutes of when people have thick, authentic accents where the, the first three to five minutes, I really can't understand what they say. But then for the rest of the film, it's perfectly fine. And then even if I go back yeah. to the beginning after the movie's over... I can totally understand what they're saying and be like, huh, I wonder why I didn't catch that the first time around. But yeah, dude, I mean, this is some like, again, thick ash, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Groundskeeper Willie. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I was like, Willie's Wonderland? That, that was in Scottish. Yeah, Although yeah, Nick yeah. Cage with a Scottish accent would be money. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure he's tried and they just wouldn't let him. So from there, uh, you know, she's driving around and the first thing she does is she goes to the mall and she gets this like makeup. And there was actually a really cool sequence that uh, is something that they do a couple times. Jonathan Glazer does that is where she's sort of walking around the mall and then all of a sudden we just get this sequence where it's just showing individual men, single men walking around on their own. And it's like, Oh, that's a really cool because even just during that sequence, it's, it's kind of foreboding and you're like, Oh, without it, without knowing what the film is, it's like, Oh yeah, it definitely feels like they're being set up to where like, she's going to be hunting these people. And to your point, that's non-visual communication. And I think that's one thing that we're going to find over the course of this episode is that that's one thing that it does really, really well is communicates these ideas without doing so through dialogue. And that was one particularly effective example of that. So from there, she's driving around. She's trying to pick up guys. And it's something that, you know, she's this isn't going to be something she just does once or twice. It's like half the movie is like her driving around trying to pick up dudes. And uh, but one interesting shade is that she refuses to pick up men with families. And I would suppose that, Ryan, you can let me know what you find. But the idea is probably that these alien beings, you know, whether to whether or not she is exactly an alien or not, we can talk about that in a minute, but these alien beings are definitely trying to keep their tracks hidden, right? And that's really all it just comes right. down to. So by going with single dudes, there's no family to have to look after them. No one looking for them. No fuss, no muss. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and again, you know, the way they communicate that is really effective. Like, when she has the first conversation, everything's going fine. He mentions the family. She drives off. You think there might be something there. And then in the next conversation she has, there's a moment where she she thinks that he has a family for a moment and goes to, like, put her seatbelt and drive off. But he corrects her and is like, oh, no, 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 I'm single. And then she, like, lets takes it off and continues the conversation. So, again, that's a really effective way of communicating that without just having some bullshit on the nose dialogue saying that that's what's going on, you know? Tremendous job of showing, not telling in this film. Yeah. No exposition needed. Um, explanation needed, though. Like, yes. there, this is, uh, uh, again, I, I kind of started the podcast off by saying this. This movie is very well served um, by listening to a podcast like us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you're welcome, everybody. Yeah, We're doing tell the hard your work friends. for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is some that is some slick organic promo, my friend. You've been working on that. I like it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had a lot of time to kill in that white van in front of Scarjo's house. So <laughs> I was like trying to come up with uh, you know, creative ideas. How could I how could I do this a little better? Absolutely. So now we're about to get into the first sort of, you know, major mind fuck, you know, she brings the guy home sort of thing in sequence and um so let's go ahead and get into that. And then, Ryan, I'll kind of pitch it to you and you can kind of just get us a little bit more into that theory that you were you were looking to get into a minute ago. So she ends up finding a single guy. She ends up taking him home. And again, it's the first of the sequences where she's, you know, quote unquote, capturing these people, whatever she's doing with them. Right. And she sort of has this very sort of seductive, sultry sexuality that she's using. You know, she's giving the guys the uh, come hither, fuck me eyes as she like walks backwards through the house, you know, like uh, waving her finger forward. And she walks backward and the guys walk forward and both of them slowly undress as they do so. Now, at this point. The entire room, which they do go into like a normal house on the exterior, everything's fine. Once they're inside, everything is pitch black. The entire room is black. They're basically walking in a sort of black vacuum, except for that very shortly 
the ground sort of turns into like a thick, viscous liquid. And so much like quicksand or something like that, or like an oil pit or something, the guys, as they walk forward, just continue to sink lower and lower. And I, I think even maybe it might even be some sort of like suspended animation gel to preserve them or something like that. Again, we can go into that yeah. in just a sec. Um, but he does end up getting sort of swallowed by this ground. And, you know, I think we even get a quick shot, too, where it's like he looks up and we sort of see that he's not dead. He's alive and that, he, you know, he's able to, to breathe and all these sorts of things. And, and he watches her sort of walk away from underneath. Right. So, yep. Ryan, what the hell do you think's going on there? The, uh, this movie is a direct metaphor of every relationship I have ever been in. And <laughs> this is just blindly being led into the darkness of love and uh, drowning because of it as she walks <laughs> away unscathed. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, so obviously, yeah, we're starting to get into, I mean, this movie lets you know right up front you're in for some weird shit. Uh, sure. From the opening sequence, as you're saying, the lens being put together and the words and all of that. And plus, I mean, if you've gotten this far to watch this film, you kind of, I'm sure you've watched a trailer or something. You kind of knew you were in for some ethereal crap. So, yeah, uh, yeah she is luring these men back to her alien lair um, that ha obviously has some kind of uh, portal inside or is otherworldly in some way, shape or form to... Call and, uh, you know, uh, cultivate rather, um, these humans of their resources or their meat in, in whatnot. So, uh, as we don't quite see that yet, that's on the second guy that we see that because yeah. it references the first guy and we'll get to that here shortly, but yeah, um, we, uh, yeah. So we see him, you know, step into this liquid or it almost kind of looks like a venom symbiote uh, material yeah. from a nerd standpoint, if you want to follow <laughs> me on that. But uh, yeah, so uh, they walk in and and then he is now this man is now under uh, the liquid viscous liquid of sorts. And then she walks away, gathers her things. And uh, that's where we leave it uh, until the next guy. And I think we learn more. It's more telling as to what's going on um, on man two yes. that she wrangles up and brings yeah. back as to what's really happening here. And so uh, I'll touch base back with you on that one, I think. And yeah. And uh, as far as the opening scene, um, I, I'm with you on that. I'm going to go ahead and reference that at the end and get to some of the overarching themes once we've cre you know created the uh, the the three acts here. So okay. I'll get back Excellent. to some of that. So, yeah. So, you know, that pretty much wraps up our first act mostly. Um and from there, she's back on the hunt. She finds this swimmer, and he's sort of, you know, living either cliffside on a beach somewhere, and there's nearby a guy whose wife gets pulled out into the ocean by the current. The He and he being the husband as well as the swimmer both kind of try to re swim out to her and save her. Not able to do so, right? So the swimmer guy ends up getting the husband back to shore, but then, like, he still ends up going out into sea after her. And Scarlett Johansson's woman character has been watching this the entire time. And she very callously goes over after the swimmer fails to rescue her and knocks him out, grabs a rock, knocks him out with that rock unconscious and drags his body off the beach. As she's doing so, we see that there's a crying baby on shore and she just, once again, very callously passes that baby on by. And then 
later that night or that same day or whatever, the biker who at this point we're starting to see is like responsible for cleaning up after her. Right. We, we don't know if he's a human, if he's like an alien that's in a body, you'd have to imagine that he's probably an alien in a body that's tasked with, you know, probably some sort of uh, maybe higher ranking or lower ranking, but either way, you know, sort of the cleanup guy a little bit and he'll pop back up over the course of the film. And I thought it was interesting because there's a lot of times where like she spends a lot of time looking for these guys and just taking them. So, Ryan, did you think that outside of just showing the callousness of her character, is that what was really going on with that beach scene? We're supposed to be like, oh, how could they leave a crying baby and they're just not human and they don't understand? Or what did you think was the specific context of that scene? Um, Because of the ending, because this is a... The through point for for Scarlett Johansson's character is that she starts as that cold, callous collector. And by the end, uh, she's trying to escape to uh, escape these motorcycle guys and uh, try to relate to humanity in various forms. And yeah. we see that in the cake eating scene. We see that. I mean, she fled the scene. She lets the deformed guy go. And as she starts to embrace humanity and get a soft side because of these conversations she's having um, and seeing the kindness uh, portrayed in some of these uh, human moments. Um, yeah, I think that that was the first, you know, the first time guy she takes no questions asked leads him in strips down, whatever he's in the jail. Then the, you know, by the time we get to the beach, uh, I think it's the crying baby also watching the sacrifice of man, because at first it's a dog swimming in the water. The woman goes after the dog. The ma- the husband goes after the woman. Then the mm. swimmer goes after all of them. Gotcha. She conks out the swimmer, takes that dude. And, but the, uh, and we hear on the radio later, uh, there's a report given about, uh, missing man. His car was found down the way. Um, the wife and child, uh, his body have not been recovered, but his body was, um, because if you recall, he was dragged to the beach by the swimmer. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so the woman were led to believe that the woman and the dog died. No one was able to save them. The swimmer grabs the guy, brings him back, but he's dead anyway. And his body was found. Uh, and the baby, nobody found that. We left the baby screaming yeah. and crying. Then when we see the motorcycle guy go back to collect, that was really kind of heartbreaking because he left the baby there too. And yeah. I was like, oh shit. So no, I think uh, yeah, I think to your point though, I think that's probably what it is. It's really just providing that contrast because yeah, we're going to get into this really, really quickly just about the aspect of her being yeah, Scarlett I think she Johansson's was seeing the sacrifice humanity, of right? Like watching these humans like sacrifice. Like it's all about what it is to be human versus alien. Well, yeah. And what's and so, under the skin, right? Yeah. And so at that point, I think it's just that, yes, she's still far removed from it. But later on, right. that's not going to be I think it's case. confusing to her. So, that's yeah. what, what we're or seeing. Or she's just like, not even not thinking about it. Like there she's is, empathizing with. Yeah, there is no sense the of humanity at that point that she's really right. embraced. So. Yep. Okay, so that would make sense. So, and then from there, we're pretty much leading into the the second of the sequences that we talked about, where she's in the airport. She's by the airport, anyways, and she kind of stumbles into like what seems to be a bachelorette party. They end up going to this club. She she brings the guy home, and yeah, it's a very similar sequence as before, where the entire room is in this black goo, and you know she's given the come hither walk. He disappears into the ground, except for now. When this guy goes down, we've already got that other guy from before, and he's still there. 
he's basically in a state of suspended animation. Like I said, guy it, one. Yeah, guy one, exactly. It, yeah. it brings to mind, like I said, when you see, you know, whether it's X-Men or any of these different examples of people being, um, you know, kept alive with tubes in this in the suspended animation gel, demolition. demolition Luke Skywalker, baby. Yeah, like so many people have done that, right? And it definitely brings to mind examples of that because Guy number two now, and this is this is kind of where it gets a, definitely a little more mind trippy, and and you know we'll we'll talk about theories as to what's going on there. But guy number two, who has just been you know sort of absorbed into the ground, which let's also by the way point out, very smart to shoot them in entirely blue gels in this black viscous liquid because you know that would be pretty difficult. I thought it was really cool the visual element of just seeing these blue floating bodies. Uh, against this, you know, black viscous emptiness. You know what I mean? It looked really, really sharp. And yeah. so guy number two is actually making his way over to guy number one. Now, guy number one is looking pretty worse for the wear. So his skin <laughs> is like really loose, right? I think that's kind of the best way to describe it, right? He's looking a little bit yep. like a uh, j- uh, like a like a Michael Myers mask a little bit, you know? A little uh, bit. So guy number two, but like is like swimming over to him and he ends up actually grabbing his hand or his his wrist or something really quickly. And and then almost immediately guy number one with the loose skin like implodes. He pretty much just disappears in in a flash of light, so to speak. You get sucked the fuck up, but (laughs) leaves his skin behind. Almost kind of like a like a like a snake's shedded skin or something like that, right? Like and a like uh, Jason, do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, <laughs> wanting to start again? <laughs> do you know what I always think of when I hear that is uh, the the Family Guy cutaway where there's that whole metaphor and then it shows God up and he's like, "Do you have any idea how complex your eye is? Are you kidding me with this plastic bag bullshit?" <laughs> but um so yeah and then even from there though there's that really so you know that happens and then that's not weird enough but then i think really where the the clue is is in what immediately follows because we sort of follow this this skin into basically what's this sort of like river of blood uh, that we yeah. see, and we sort of go past that, and then it sort of it's turns like a plasma to, of some kind, yeah, it's like an orange red, yeah. yeah, and then it turns into profile, and it and it very much references that opening sequence, you know, where it's sort of the trail of blood, and we've got sort of the iris thing going on. So, you would have to imagine that the inference there is that at that point he's being replicated to some sort of degree. Uh, is is that kind of what you and your research found, or are we off there? They're yeah, they're using him for his resources somehow. They're hard yeah, to create humans, another basically. one, like a new you know ScarJo three for when she inevitably could fails. Be. Right? Could be. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Um, you know, as we learn towards the end of the film, they're just they just need the uh the outside of the exterior of a human not the all the guts and stuff so the puree that they make of the insides of this man uh and take him on up the old conveyor belt to the orange glow um that could be anything yeah and i i think that it's not important i think that uh their mission is important but i don't think the outcome or what the usage of so yeah if that's you know it could be very easily that they're using the plasma and the cells and the dna to create more 
masks or things so they can create more motorcycle guys and more ScarJo's. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely. Um, well, but here's the thing, though, is because uh, it's not it's not just the skin because I mean, the whole thing is that they're creating the, well, eye, the eyes and the eye is not right. part of the skin. So I think that's that, the opening of the whole film. Yeah, exactly. That's the what I'm saying. So I think that the eye and I'll, I'll add uh, that the second guy um, that she lures that runs into guy one that gets sucked up. Uh, his big thing in the nightclub was he kept complimenting her eyes and he kept yeah. talking about her eyes over and over again. I thought that was kind of a, a little wink and a nod. The fact that you're going to start the movie with that. And then here we are talking about it again. And there's a couple other moments throughout the film that uh, are very, I, um, uh, referential. So, you know, and then also it's, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, this is uh, very much a visual film. It's it's not an uh, expositional film, so they're not telling you things. This isn't an ear film. This is an eye film. <laughs> so I know that sounds really stupid, but it's kind of true. No, you know? no, definitely. Um, like the just the the body itself is something of a character, and just you know the relationship right. between you know man and consciousness and the body, sexuality, re, uh, attraction. Yeah. All these things are very visual, uh, you know, instincts that uh, that they're playing on in, in the human realm. So yeah. uh, I will also add um, that bright orange really kind of uh, not only stood out, but um, struck something in me that kind of brought about uh, a theory that I enveloped the whole film in. Great. Let's which hear is it, man. color based. OK, um, I took this or based this somewhat on my. Uh, the thing I read about Hero, how every color in the movie Hero uh, that we talked about uh, with Jet Li last season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that every color that they portrayed meant something. And it started to stick out to me that the more alien things are in this movie, the more white and black and white they are. Sure. So there are times we find her in a white room. There are also times we find her in a black room. Uh, the only time we ever see really broad colors, namely orange or anything heavily saturated, uh, is humanity. So that kind of symbolizes humanity. So the plasma going up uh, on the conveyor belt, bright orange. And that was the first time we really saw color. Um, even when you see color, it's not that this is a black and white film, but when you see color, um, her walking down the street, watch the tones. They're very unsaturated, very bleak. Um and uh and, and drab this thing was shot in scotland for fuck's sake there's fog everywhere it's very white and and drab and bleak and unsaturated mm -hmm. um as the film progresses and we get to a scene that you're going to get to here shortly we see her standing in the mirror and things yeah. um she's lit up orange uh and then i got to the poster of the film or the box art and she's all take a look at it it's all she's all white and very goth looking and very emo, almost like vampirish. And then there's a sliver of orange on her cheek and the right side going down her neck. Mm. So it looks like the humanity is raising up through her skin yeah. into her brain. So as you start to chase those colors, and I'm letting you know now, because as we start to move through the film, uh, I'm hoping that you could start to see uh, that I have a point there. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I actually do. Yeah. And I think that we're going to end up having a very similar observation. I okay. think that based on the way cool, you're cool. saying it, the, I didn't mean to steal that from way. you, but that was just no, no, something no, 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 not that, at all. Uh, that I took away. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So, okay. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and let's get this one quick sequence out of the way. And then we'll get into cool. kind of what these theories mean. So, and this is the yeah, sequence, cool. like I said of before, where she picks up the disfigured man. And this is going to kind of set up what we're about to, to jump into here real quick. So, 
it's it's a pretty arresting sequence because first of all, this this man is heavily disfigured on his face, right? Like this is like some elephant man status, and I believe Ryan, you can let us know because on IMDb, but like that's that 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 was a genuinely disfigured gentleman. Is that correct? I don't believe yeah. that was makeup. Yeah. So all these dudes are regular dudes. Yeah. They, uh, I guess uh, the director John Glazier wanted the most improvish, you know, uh, they, he wanted these guys to feel unsuspecting. Uh, I read somewhere, um, I think on IMDb trivia that, uh, they were act, this was all like kind of reality show shit. And they were all in the back of the van and they would have disclaimers and, and waivers. Oh, wow. I don't know how they got some of these dudes naked that way. So that doesn't seem real to me. <laughs> they you just trotted Scarlett like, Johansson out and everyone was like, actually, yeah, I'll go ahead and get naked. Sure. Do I get to see like yeah. any of her? I do. Awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> life imitates art imitates life right so um yeah i but but yeah these guys aren't actors or they you know if they are they're um you know untrained talent he yeah. wanted this to be very raw and you could see that from some of the camera angles in the van as well yeah. as you start to get you know now that we're on pretty much the last guy here uh you could start to see where it's the camera angles are hidden from view because he didn't want the talent to be playing to camera gotcha he just wanted these scenes to play out um uh, like cash cab. Yeah. That, <laughs> but <laughs> that's interesting. You know. And that also explains why we get some people with some super, super thick accents, right? Like an actor would have right. bred that out of themselves a little bit, but like, no, no these, these guys, guys are all like Scottish authentic Scots. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so what's, what's really interesting about this sequence with the disfigured gentleman. And I think it, it, it relates back to what you're setting up is that, I think the main thing that it's communicating to us is that at this point, uh, Scarlett Johansson's alien android, whatever character, like it doesn't understand, you know, humanity yet. Right. Like it has no idea that this guy is disfigured at the end of the day. It has no idea that it is supposed to be afraid of this person. It is supposed to treat it any differently. It has no idea that this man's experience in life has been different from all of these other people that she's been picking up. So she's using the same like flirtatious come hither, you know, giving them the looks. And obviously this is not a guy who has ever received this type of attention from anyone even halfway normal looking, let alone someone as beautiful as Scarlett Johansson. So he's naturally and understandably very uncomfortable and even very guarded as to what's going on. And I think that really it's it's not so much about that, even though that aspect of his character is played really well. But it's sort of about the fact that, again, you know, she does not differentiate between him and any of the other, you know, normal, attractive, healthy, single dudes that she's picked up prior to that. And so I think disagree, disagree. OK, what do you have? Yeah. Well, she, for starters, he's the first guy she lets go it's the okay one but does she does she or not we'll get to that in a moment I'll, I'll bring something else go ahead okay that's fair it's this is all a movie uh very based on interpretation yeah so you are, and i are neither right nor wrong this is just how i took it and how you took it and that's part of what made me really enjoy this film on the second go round. definitely but yeah okay so go I, ahead I what do you think he shows up i he shows up in a hood and a cloak Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, guarding his appearance, she addresses this and asks him to remove that so she could see his face. Um, you know, and they have this vulnerable conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that. And then she even says like, I, I saw you looking at me, this and that. I think she sees that he's vulnerable. I think she sees that he's not like the others, whereas the other guys were aggressive towards her, like the, the nightclub guy. Uh, and the other guy were very much more, yeah, let's go. Let's go back to your place. Uh, he didn't even want to get in the van with her. And I think that he 
uh, I think she senses as a predator that he's more vulnerable and maybe she's not as interested in the hunt and then pair that with, and this is why I said this earlier, the scene on the beach with the, um, you know, with the baby and, and all of that and the surfer and stuff, uh, uh, you know, watching all that go down, I think we're starting. And then, uh, again, with the girls and the makeup, like you said, she gets knocked over at one point and gets picked up, uh, off the ground by people on the street, uh, of Glasgow and, um, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think over time we're starting to see, uh, not just one thing in particular. It's not that this one guy was the one that got her there. I think that, uh, John Glazier is giving us certain, certain nuggets or certain little layers as we go along so that by the end it's justified that she runs away and wants to get away from this and sees the humanity of man. Okay. Awesome. Yes. No, uh, I, I, I I see what you're saying. I do disagree, but that's good because this okay. is this is going to allow us to set up what I think we do agree on as well as discuss what we don't agree on moving forward. So this is what I'll do to set up and then we can get into really what we feel is really going on. With this the is the alternate timeline and the mirror this is the and everything like here. that. Yeah. 1985. <laughs> OK, because so here's what happens. So so at this point, the disfigured man does end up being brought in the house. And then, like I said, if you really look, I would argue that he is treated the same way that all of the other single dudes have been treated. And even when they're in the house, she still gives him the come hither sexual, you know, let's get this on. And then he ends up getting enveloped by the ground. Like we actually see him disappear into the ground. And that's what I think is the crux of my argument right here. Okay. And that's this. Okay. So after he gets swallowed into the ground, we actually see a second being appear. So Scarlett Johansson's creature is still in her Scarlett Johansson skin. And we see what is ultimately the, uh, well, you could argue it, but the true form of these alien creatures in the form of just being covered in complete black latex, essentially, right? Like picture like yes. a black mannequin, right? We, we've kind of seen that in other things. So here's what I think happens. I think that the... The, the beings at large, okay, that are responsible for creating and tasking Scarlett Johansson, I believe that these are advanced creatures, okay? One could even argue that Scarlett Johansson's character is not just strictly an alien life form, but could be an android created by an alien life form. We'll get into that in a minute. But I think what's happening here is that she does not... The whole thing about the first half of this film is her character doesn't understand what's going on. It does not understand humanity. And all of that is right. going to change right after this when she looks in the mirror and arguably develops self-awareness. I think that is ultimately at the end of the day what's going on with that. So sure. I think that what happens is she doesn't know any better, right? I think it's one of these things where mom and dad, it's like it's like a dog, right? Like, you know, your dog kills, you know, your neighbor's pet and it brings it to the front door all happy wagging its tail like, hey guys, I brought you a gift. It has no idea that it's the neighbor's pet and that it's going to cause a huge problem between you and the neighbor moving forward. It's just acting on animal instinct. I think that's exactly what's going on with this scene, with the Scarlett Johansson alien android character, then a second being comes in 
and interjects and basically says, no, we don't do that. We give these people some sort of mercy, different consideration, whatever. And even though we don't see it, because we do see him, we distinctly see him walk forward and disappear into the gel, just like the other two guys. Then the other alien being shows up, and then all of a sudden we cut to outside the house, and the guy, the the disfigured gentleman is running out naked. I believe the implication is that the second alien being was something of like a, you know, parent figure or the the alien being in charge of these Scarlett Johansons and basically said, no, 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 we don't do that and let the guy go. After which point... But then the motorcycle guy collects correct. him and brings him back and kills him anyways. Well, but he, you know, we don't know that he kills him. He he drives away oh, with him. Oh, well, then what's he collecting? But he's the collector. Like, Absolutely. What, what but, that, but, but that's what I'm Just saying. Just a loose end? He, you know, maybe... Who knows? I mean... Who, who are we to know that they don't have some, you know, mind erasing technology a la men in black, right? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, right? But there's at least an argument there to be had there. Because, and then so, and then let's go ahead and let's jump into this theory. So immediately after that, she's walking out and it's something that, you know, I didn't really pick up on at the time, but proved obviously to be very important, which is she catches her reflection in the mirror and we get a solid 30, 40, 60 seconds of her sort of just looking very confused by what she is seeing. And I think that this is the moment that the entire film changes, okay? Uh, Before I give you my just explicit theory as to what I thought was going on there and moving forward, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and tell us yours? My theory on what? I I was with you. Okay, so Um, do you... I just think that that she... I think she let the guy go, personally. And then motorcycle guy goes to clean up. I think this is the first time because what follows is the mirror scene and then her running away from motorcycle guys and they try to track her down so that we're starting to see her sympathy or compassion or the humanity is wearing off on her um, a a little bit. And and she's losing that or she's gaining some kind of self-realization of what it is she's doing and how that's impacting uh, the life cycle of where she's at and so forth. So yeah. I think she let that guy go. I think that motorcycle guy goes up to clean up after her. I think the Supreme being is overseeing her doing her job because motorcycle guy confronts her in the whiteness and the cobblestone street um, surrounded by either fog or, you know, there may be able to, step out of time and space. Uh, maybe that's what is in the way they're doing that building situation. So maybe that's actually on the street, but the, it had cobblestones around it. It's all white. And um, in the, in the motorcycle guy confronts her yeah. and gets up in her grill. Basically mm-hmm. like, are you able to do this uh, or are you fucking up? And, you know, basically don't make me do this again. And it's shortly thereafter that she runs away um, and ends up, um, Uh, you know, falling into nature. And, you know, from there on out, we see her not into cityscapes and humanity, but in trees and in the forest and uh, in little cabins and things. And so I think that is more getting grounded into the earth and into the humanity and into life and what uh, that's about. So that was just my take on, I mean, I, I I thought that that was that you're right. That is the turning point. It's also, um, after that, pretty much every time we see her from there on out, she is more saturated. She's in tungsten light. She's in candlelight. She's in lamplight. 
um, she's orange. She's, yeah. you know, come to uh, embrace the humanity that surrounds her, as we said earlier. And she's investigating it. Uh, we see her naked in the mirror, uh, completely naked for a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, as she uh, not uh, not so much that she's being uh, exploited. It wasn't exploitative, uh, but she's investigating herself and her own humanity. What does this do? What does that do? And then she meets a man who... Uh, she ends up finding a connection with and, and going back to some castle or something. That part was very confusing. Uh, but I will say that uh, because he looked like the first guy to me. So I thought we were going back and we were starting to f- like layer on more personal history of who these people were. They okay. were taking us back to show show us something because he looked very similar to the first guy. Mm-hmm. Dude, all white guys look the same. <laughs> I don't especially in Scotland. I. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, Scott. Um, okay, so Ryan, let me so, let me jump in here real quick. Yeah, because go ahead, something, go ahead, go something ahead. really interesting is developing here, and this is exactly the type of thing that I, I hope happens with, with films like this, where they're really subjective. Maybe the creator, the director, the writer, whoever it is, had something very specific in mind. It all makes 100% to, sense to, to them, but they present it in a way that's ambiguous because they want these type of discussions. They want people to think sure, about sure. it. They want interpretive metaphor. And uh, again, you know, maybe there is no right or wrong answer. There's just a bunch of potential answers. So we, yeah, we would we would ask John Glazier and he would say yes. Yeah, and, and right. We'd be like, which one? He, He'd be like, yep. The fact that you're even asking me that means I succeed. Yeah, it's the and way I'd that like, it's Sweet. the way that David Lynch refuses to answer questions. You know, they're like, hey, can you tell right. us what happened and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nope. He's a great Love example. you guys talking Love about it. Not telling you what's happening. Yep. So so this is what's happened. So both of us. I just got two watches. <laughs> <laughs> so both of us are in agreement that this whole moment of her looking in the mirror is her uh, sort of inviting and becoming a more human, so to speak, at the end right. of the day. So this is what I think is interesting about the way that we interpreted this. This is, to me was the end of act two into act three. Sure. And then we go into that really slow creeping shot of the trees okay. in the hills. Okay, but hold on here. Okay. And that was act three to me. Sure. That, that That's great. But here's what's happening. So you, you think that basically, so we both agree that she's inhabiting her humanity. What's interesting is that you see it as coming from ultimately a sort of positive place at the end of the day or at least a sympathetic place right like she's basically what you're arguing is that she is coming to terms with the emotions of humanity around like empathy and sympathy and understanding and being more grounded to earth and that because of that she's struggling with being a predator and just you know, killing these people that may be sort of good people. Is that fair to say that that's kind of where you're coming from? Yes. Okay, awesome. So this is what's great is this is the way that I see it. I actually see it as coming from a much more negative place, okay? I don't think that she's coming to terms with her humanity at all. I think that she has a moment where she experiences self-awareness. She looks at herself in the mirror and is suddenly aware of the fact that she is human and this concept fucks with her to a degree that she cannot comprehend okay and i think that for example the next scene the next couple scenes are her trying to understand her humanity and that's why she goes to the diner and she orders the chocolate cake but immediately she gags and spits it out that's that's a metaphor for her not understanding humanity. 
right? And then she gets okay. on the bus and she's very much in a sort of catatonic daze, right? And the thing is, when you start talking about things like empathy and sympathy, like that comes from that that's a place of 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 being connected with the world around you, understanding humanity, understanding nature. I think that she's going the exact opposite way. She is feeling completely alienated because she's suddenly now had enough time to consider what she's doing and consider that she is not her previous alien form. And she is now literally in a completely foreign entity that she does not understand whatsoever. And I think that... But aren't we saying the same thing in different ways? So that's what I'm saying is where... She's leaving one thing and becoming another. She is, but I think the thing is that you're saying that she's struggling with becoming a predator... And so, and she's, 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 she's backing off because she's starting to now empathize with humanity as a whole. I'm saying that she's, she's backing off because she has now gone from predator to prey. The knowledge that she is human and has no idea exactly what it means to be human has broken her mind. And she has no idea how to respond. So now she cannot be the predator anymore because her mind is broken. And now she's afraid of everything around her. And she's being attacked by these things around her. And when she does try to understand and connect with humanity, whether it's eating chocolate cake or whether it's engaging in uh, sexual, you know, actual sexual intercourse with a gentleman, the moment those things happen, that she has those moments where she is actually doing something a human does, it is terrifying to her or it is gross to her or it repels her and she wants nothing to do with it and so i think that again we're both saying the same thing happened but you're saying that it's more of her sympathizing with humanity and i'm saying that it's her being fucking terrified and having no idea how to respond i think it's both how about that i think you're right and i'm right i think that she tries to eat cake but she doesn't have the digestive system she's trying to enjoy human things like sex and then immediately takes the lamp to go uh inspect her vagina so she could go see what's going on down like because it's all just a suit it's a meat suit and we see that in the very end when it gets taken off and the eyes are still blinking and everything is still moving on the outside and all her features of her mannequin self that was created just as a vessel to harbor this suit to go get the meat um, you know, I, that's why I think, you know, basically I see that she let that guy go, the uh, disfigured gentleman, the motorcycle guy goes and gets her. And then we see three motorcycle guys all split up because they're on the hunt. They realize she's gone soft. Maybe these drones that they send out, these Scarjos or the woman in the beginning of the film, uh, have like an expiration date before humanity can envelop them and uh, wear off on them. So it's only a matter of time before humanity makes you soft because of our love and our empathy and the things that ground us and make us human. Um, But when we see her eat cake and we see her inspect her body and we see her try to have sex, these are her ways of enjoying it. But she also, you're absolutely right. I do agree with you that she is terrified at the same time. She is now being hunted. She's hiding with that other guy who's harboring her that she tries to have sex with, uh, that's being kind to her. Um, and it's because she's become soft that she lets her guard down for the logger, uh, which takes us to our final scene. And I'll let you go ahead and explain that and we can get back to the film. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that she is terrified. I think that 
the uh, hunter has become the prey. Everything that you said, in theory, I agree with. I just think maybe the motives are a little different, yeah. and maybe your mentality is a little different. I think that um, you know there is a small sliver of her that is like the Sam Worthington character from Avatar, where you stay in the Avatar too long and you start to empathize with the Navi, and now you're starting to see things from their angle where just shortly there before you were sent by Sigourney Weaver to go destroy the tree of life in Fern Gully. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, we see it a little bit differently, but that's a perfectly understandable take on that. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think there's a t- tremendous overlap in, in our Venn diagram totally, here totally. between you and me. Uh, just the, I really think it's just the, I, I <laughs> honestly, the, 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 what is exactly like, we're in agreement there. It's really just the why that we're kind of have a little bit of a disagreement on there, but to your point, I mean, this is a subjective art film. This is not, if the director wanted us to know exactly what was going on, he would not have made this movie this way. Right. So, and that's she exactly knows what makes when this she's awesome. on the move. She knows when she's on the move that she's gone rogue and she's in a lot of trouble. He hides her in that castle thingy or whatever, um, you know, and has to tell her several times. It's okay. It's okay. And he's very calming and soothing and compassionate. You're absolutely right. She's terrified. We see that. Um, And it's only when she gets upstairs to the bedroom that she feels safe and and lets her guard down and decides to have sex with this man um, or tries to. Um, Again, she's just trying to fit in somehow and gather what's going on in this human world. Where the fuck am I? So everything you're saying, I agree with. I just think that it's done out of a means of, uh, trying to understand compassion. I won't even say, I don't think she's trying to understand as well. I, I, I agree with you that I think she's trying to understand, but again, I just think it's more out of fear than sympathy or it's out of being broken than, you know, coming to understand. That's really, that's, that's really the only difference yeah. that we're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, she's not Ariel. She's not trying to get <laughs> Prince Eric. You know yeah. what I mean? She's not like, uh, walking around on those, what do you call them? Feet, you know, and she's dancing around. She's definitely scared shitless. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. you know, and she's being hunted and we see that with the motorcycle guys and stuff. And, uh, well, anyway. and there's also this interesting thing where it seems to literally be like, Again, in keeping with the film, the the title of the film is Under the Skin. There seems to be something where she has a problem the moment that things like go inside of her, right? Whether it's food through her mouth, whether, you know, it's this man's penis through intercourse, like because right before they actually right before he actually engages to insert, she's really into it. Like when they're just kissing, when it's all just kissing and they're kissing each other's face and cheek and skin like she's way into that. She's smiling. She's cuddly. It's only once he actually goes to physically penetrate her that all of a sudden she gets the frown. She throws him off. And then to your point, yeah, she like jumps up, grab a lamp and like spreads her legs and like literally investigates her vagina to make sure that like everything is okay. So, yeah, there definitely seems to be a thing. Because it's just a suit. At the end of the day, he's hitting mannequin bone. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah. And then and then and then we do get the ending where, you know, she runs into the guy in the forest and, you know, she's trying to hide out in, you know, that sort of I don't know exactly what you call it, but it's like one of those home for weary traveler places that apparently they just have for free in Scotland. I don't know. We're in America where you got to pay for everything. Right. So I don't know what the (laughs) hell that is, but apparently in other countries, they just have places for free that people that are in dire situations can just utilize. (laughs) Go figure. Where's the profit in that? Huh? But anyway, so and then she ends up getting sort of fondled awake and she runs away. And then, you know, later on, he he runs back into her. And I believe, you know, he's fighting her off and and what, like a piece of her skin kind of either comes off or rolls off or something like that. 
sort of yeah, ex- very dead alive. I was yeah. like, yeah, another one. <laughs> and it kind of exposes <laughs> the, you know, again, that sort of black latex true form alien being that we're talking about there. And, you know, the guy goes away. We think that he's just going to sort of shove off, but comes back with gasoline and, uh, you know, douses her in flames and then lights her on fire. And, you know, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much how the film wraps up, because we've got the the biker. He's, you know, on top of some sort of nearby hill or mountain. And we see the black smoke being created by her body. And, you know, the final shot is, you know, it's wafting into the air. It's wafting before the biker guy who is on the mountain. And then snow starts to fall. And we sort of see, you know, we see him watch the smoke rising into the sky and then it sort of, you know, cuts to black. And and that brings us back to what you were talking about at the beginning of the show, where it's just this is really just sort of a cycle of, you know, death and rebirth. Right. So now let me now. And it ends in white and black, just like it opens in white and black. If you think of it that way with the snowfall and then yeah. you know, the feeding to black and the title over the. Uh, the blackness it opens that way with in reverse with the blackness the title and then we go to white with her and the cool thing about that is the metaphor works for really either of our interpretations because I think that what it's saying is you know this perhaps this this alien life form life is not this difficult right (laughs) everything is black and white it's very obvious or maybe it's just even if things are advanced that's their true nature so they understand the difference between whatever their version of right and wrong is and so but the point is when you inhabit someone else's skin all of a sudden things aren't black and white and from there you could even make you know a larger metaphor about um you know judging other people other people's experiences and you know claiming to understand somebody's path or somebody's experience when you really don't because again you haven't lived in their skin and once you do you're exposed to all of the challenges you know because again everybody's psychology is different you know the way that you and I are going to respond to the same situation could be completely different and each of those responses could carry its own set of unique challenges right Um, so perhaps there's some sort of again idea of you know, we don't truly understand what someone else is going through, whether they're an alien figure or not until we are in their skin. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this is really fucked. I didn't realize uh, all this was going on here. This is more challenging than I realized. Yeah. Yeah. Something uh, something I didn't really get to is, uh, you know, when the when the film opens, um, it, it oh, there is something that they 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 show two things. They show one tears coming out of the woman's eyes. that's on the ground that Scarjo's standing over, uh, taking her clothes and things. Uh, very quickly, it shows that, which is why I think empathy is involved, and and it's a repeating cycle. Okay, uh, that when you get involved with humanity, um, what we bring to the table, the thing that separates us from animals, is that soul that saturated orange life that glows from within that can't help but be contagious even to the coldest animal or uh, alien being sure uh and then it cuts to something she takes off of the woman which is an ant and we get this really detailed close-up silhouette Mm -hmm. of the ant interacting with her finger and stuff and um Uh, Something that I did see online about that, because I was really confused why they took the time to show us that. Um, And that is that ants are seen as collective uh, taskmasters. There's no individuality and they only have value to us uh, as a collective. They're Mm. only a threat to us as a collective. And the ant is very much like these aliens. 
Um, Interesting. It's it nature uh, in its pure form here on Earth is a nothing personal kind of uh, do what needs to be done to get the you know the ends justify the means situation. Predator and prey. There's no. Well, it's there's very orderly. There's like a baked two. in orderly order to nature. That's yes. Understood. You do this. You do that. That's why. Again, I, I kind of related these motorcycle guys to like the drone bees you know as they're going out to collect the pollen and and to clean up or do these things you know the the vultures of society that are nature's trash crew or cleanup crew you know there's everything has a purpose in uh in the world and and in nature and, and surrounding us right down to the micro beings that live on our skin um and humanity is different we are the creatures that give each other value singularly and i can love you. I can love her. I could love, you know, and, and I don't need this collective and what's your use to me and ends justify the means. It's a separate existence to be human under our skin. And so I thought that by showing us the ant, this little robotic drone, um, you know, that, that exists purely to get a task done to serve the greater whole for the colony. Um, I thought that was kind of a metaphor of aliens versus humans a little bit sure. and like the story it's about to tell us. And, and, uh, and the ant was bleak black, uh, you know, silhouetted. And so that's kind of the alien thing and, and, uh, and all of that. So, well, dude, I'll take um, it one step further thought- and I'll even let you know that that ties into my theory really well, because that could be ultimately assuming for a second that, you know, the, my interpretation is what's going on here. Like, that could be what she's struggling with, for example. Maybe it's the individuality of humanity that is she is specifically sure. struggling with because she right. comes from a collective society where she's just programmed to do this thing. And now she's all of a sudden an independent being that doesn't know what it's supposed to do or where it's supposed to go or what it was designed for at any point in time. And maybe that's what fucks with her. Right. I mean, it's, that's, and then we get to a bug's life and that's another thing altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Pixar did it first and did it better. (laughs) Just a little brighter with more colors. (laughs) <laughs> yep. So far we've, you know, we've tethered this to little mermaid bugs life. Let's see what else we got. Um, well, dude, I got to say, also, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to add to something, uh, another little detail as we're kind of winding this down. Um, she is wearing a fur jacket uh, through most of the film. And it's only after she gets rid of that fur jacket. That's around the time too, that she stops becoming the apex predator and starts becoming the prey or more of a human. Um, I thought that kind of had a, an interesting context as well. There's so many of these visual little visual nuggets and references. And because there's no dialogue uh, or very little, um, you know, you can really pay attention to these visual things. And that's how I noticed, you know, it was fun taking notes on this film. And that's why I said at the head of this episode that, uh, at the top of this episode that, um, you know, this was a great film for the, for this podcast. Absolutely. I think it lent itself very well to really dissecting it and, and, uh, taking notes. This isn't something you want to put on a Friday night for you and all your friends and pop some popcorn. Yeah. It's going to get real awkward. <laughs> that real first viewing quick. experience that you had is not the ideal way to do this. This is, look, no, there's just certain no, movies mean, that are, are better to watch by yourself or with one right. other like-minded person maybe, but, and this is definitely one of those films. Well, and that's why I said this is a very, and, and you know, pardon the, the, the sexual <laughs> reference, but it is a very, it's a very masturbatory film. <laughs> We've dropped you know? several F-bombs. Both of us have said vagina. And then you're like, pardon my masturbatory drop. 
<laughs> dropping some M bombs, son. Masturbation. I'll beat you up. This film jacks off all over its own face. How about that? Yeah. Well, that's on top of the skin, buddy. Sorry, Just get it right aggressive. on top of the skin. That's the sequel. Rub it in. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, yeah, again, I, I think this was a fantastic film for this podcast. Not going to be for everybody, but it's exactly the type of conversations that we're looking to have here. It's exactly the type of film that I like having on here. So let's go ahead and wrap it up, Ryan, as we do with a little formality. I'm going to let you take them first and foremost, even though it makes my job harder. Three adjectives. What you got, bud? Uh, First off, I got stoic. Mm. This is a very bleak and stoic film. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised this is British Personally, I would expect this to be German. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's also a very deliberate film. Uh, everything you see, everything you hear seems so specific. And you could take it how you want, as we've discussed over and over again in this whole podcast. Um, how you interpret these things, up to you. Uh, but what they're giving you is... That's why there's no dialogue, and that's why the cinematography is so amazing. The music. I mean, Jesus Christ. We didn't even talk about Micah Levi's score, uh, or Mika, Mika Levi, Oh, yeah, I no, it's it fantastic. Um, just just yeah. all mood all the time and exactly Dude, the Dude, I right saw mood. someone online say uh, to just go listen to this score on its own without the visuals, and really, I mean, that alone could be a podcast. Yeah. Uh, maybe measuring the score out there could do that one. I'll, I'll recommend that to them on the old pod chat. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike, uh, Mika Levi. Um, fantastic, uh, little, I don't know if it's a person or a group. I found the answer to be both. Uh, I know they have a group called Mikachu, which I thought was funny. <laughs> uh, such an adorable name for such a haunting and terrifying, uh, performance. Um, but yeah, so deliberate. And then the last one is bland, uh, which I, I hate to end on a downer, but it is a bland <laughs> film. There's not a lot going on. This is not a fun movie. This isn't a romp. There's no action. Um, even as she's getting these guys, it's just kind of bland it's not i mean there are moments of horror when they're under the jelly and he and the man gets sucked up and all i mean yeah but it's not even a horror at all dude i mean you could kind of argue maybe it's it's like a bit terror ish or it's like dark sci-fi but no it's not even a horror at all but i don't think it's trying to be it's not no i didn't mean horror i misused that word i'm just saying that there's nothing happening there's no action she's sitting in a van for most of it (laughs) the conversations are dull they're all monotone she's standing around looking blank into the uh you know uh yeah horizon it's it's meant to be talked about afterwards it's not a plot driven it's a hard word it's like hey hop in and i'm gonna take you on a fun jaunt it's definitely not and so you know when i say bland i just mean like what i said this isn't one that you want to go pop some popcorn and gather the family around. This is one that you want to watch on your own on a Tuesday night when you got nothing going on uh, and and everyone's out of the house and and you won't be judged. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, for my first one, again, uh, you know, hyphenating these matters, I've got visually communicative and it's it's nothing that we didn't talk about over the course of, of this show that it's just really just all visual communication Show, don't tell. It was the very first thing you said at the top of the show, and it's 100% true. And again, and and selfishly, Ryan, I think you mentioned this at some point, like, it's so nice when I can actually just sit there and take notes for the program while stuff's right. going on because there's no dialogue for seven minutes at a time. It's like, sweet. Yeah. I don't have to pause yeah. this bitch at all. This is awesome. 
Um, Especially with those thick Scottish accents, to your point. <laughs> like, I, I was like, oh, no. And then, like, 30 minutes in, I was like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. We'll get to <laughs> Nobody's saying shit. Yeah. Uh, number two, I've got slow paced. Uh, that's definitely something that we mentioned. It's not in a hurry to get to where it's going. And I, and I, and I have come to appreciate films. You know, I don't know if it's just kind of getting a little bit older. But, you know, there's definitely uh, more, especially with this program that we've been doing and some of the films that we look at like I'm really kind of been a lot more okay recently with films that are just content to take their time you know and just kind of let you sit in these moments and kind of feel what the character is going through Um, I mean not always easy when you have you know a crap ton of stuff and responsibilities work etc that you're trying but um, it does really let you you know sit in the film and, and embody its atmosphere which leads into my third word atmospheric and it's just, you know, it's all tone, Great. it's all mood, you know, again, it's it's the tension, it's, you know, again, when she's talking to the disfigured guy, it's not at all about any of the words that are being said. It's about the emotions that are being communicated, it's about the mood, it's about the discomfort, it's about the not knowing. So, we've got visually communicative, slow-paced, and atmospheric. Ryan, give me a formal rating, what you got? I gave this one a B minus. Nice. Um, I thought technically this was uh, an achievement. I loved what I walked away with this with. Um, this is nothing I would recommend to a lot of people, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, I thought this was a good film. And um, I might even, you know, after having this discussion with you, I'm going to step this up to a solid B. Hey, that's uh, more B. like it, Woody. The minus is too negative. Just a good solid middle of the rotor um there's not much to it it's a pretty you know but there's everything to it at the same time it's a crazy movie absolutely uh it's nothing i want to like rush back and watch again um but you know if i had to watch it again i don't think i'd be mad i will say that after the first viewing with the conditions i was in i probably would have given this a d i was expecting a d film uh when i went into this um and i think that maybe helped my experience a little bit i like that sometimes when you expect shit and you get something special and it's like oh wow okay there's more to the more to this i just had to dig a little further and uh quit being a pussy so, uh, anyway <laughs> that's cool go, i'm gonna give this a good solid b we're gonna chalk this up in the rankings as a b what about you awesome awesome yeah i mean i really like this film and i know again ryan you know we, we've definitely got a a theme going on here where, you know, you're def- you're the harsher of the two critics, man. So, uh, again, I love the discussion. I love the consideration. I love the score. I love the cinematography. I loved everything about this film, uh, even if it was a little slower paced. So, uh, for me, it's a, it's, it's a four and a half star film. I'm going to give it that full four okay. and a half stars out of five. I, I'll agree with you 120%. Awesome. I don't just, you know, get, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, not, not a perfect film, but very, very good. And again, Anybody that, you know, has listened to a few of these episodes knows that, you know, we're going to kind of we we dig these kind of films. You know, you throw some weird shit in there, some heavy sci fi, you know, all these different things that we like. Yeah, it's going to it's going to bump you up a little bit in our book, you know. Um, once again, not yeah. a film I'm going to recommend to my mom or my dad because they're not artsy film types. Right. Like it's definitely you, you definitely want to be into art films. Otherwise, you're going to find this slow and pretentious and boring and all of those things. But yeah, for me, this is a four and a half star film, man. In my mind, I was trying to uh, connect this somehow 
as a prequel situation or sequel situation to Prometheus. Okay. You, you know what's funny for <laughs> like me? That's what's happening on the other side, you know what I mean, of the blackness? Yeah. <laughs> They're sending out Scarjo. Well, what's funny? To harvest these people. What's funny to me is that actually I got heavy. The, the film that it made me think about was Annihilation. Did you ever catch that one? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, so even especially like that whole dance at the end that the mirror being does with Natalie Portman, like, I mean, that was basically just a silver version of these black characters, you know, these these alien sure. forms. Um, so, you know, the visual aesthetic, the, you know, slow, cerebral, not telling you a lot of what's going on. Uh, I actually like this film way more than Annihilation. I did not like I hated Annihilation, Annihilation at all. And I and oh, that just brings warmth to my soul. That <laughs> yeah. makes me saturated and warm. You know, it's funny. I actually I, I've read the book, too, and I found the book itself to be very mediocre. So, yeah, Damn. dude, like I was just not the, the Jeff Vandermeer and and Annihilation and. Uh, nah, nah, fuck dude. that movie. Not, not, not into that shit. Fuck dude. that movie right in the bee hole. <laughs> I hated that movie so much. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I was scared to say it. I thought uh, you were no, going to rip me to shreds. Movie, no. and, and honestly, cool. I'll even... I'll even cause you, this, you and I are the only two. You realize I, that, I right? do. Maybe, maybe, uh, and as a matter of fact, so even uh, Ex Machina, I, I think it's a good movie, but I do not revere it as like a, a five-star like classic. That one way better. Yeah, no, everybody yeah, is like, right. dude, that like Deus Ex is one of my favorite movies or Ex Machina is one of my favorite movies, favorite movies. I'm like, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Totally solid. Probably, you know, four-star-ish or so, but uh, it's not like an all-time classic to me. But yeah, Annihilation is, is yeah. not great. I just thought that um, it was a little bit, I thought that Ex Machina was more like this, where it was a little more stripped down and so that you were able to get some of those narrative tones and stuff like that. I thought that the Annihilation thing was trying to be a little more than it needed to be to get, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. It it, it was like, you know, Predator, but with uh, under the skin vibes, you know, it was really weird how it had like the conjunction of the two things, uh, the big, you know, heavy space sci-fi and then, and uh, end of the world and we're going into the abyss and all of that. Yeah. That's another one that deals with all this is the abyss. Uh, I haven't seen that one in a long time. Dude, it's such a good movie. The funny, the funny thing about Annihilation too, is that it's actually not, the movie is not the book at all. Like, like neither one did that story very well, but both of them are completely different versions of that story. So like when you, watch the movie after reading the book, it basically plays like Annihilation, the book fan fiction. Like somebody sort of took the world that was set up in the book and then went in its own direction that had very little to do with the actual book. And interestingly enough, the the parts of the book it retains are the worst parts. So it's like <laughs> just just a bad decision making me uh, maybe there. So Well that that's funny you bring that up because uh the exact same is true bringing it full circle for Under the Skin which was also a book that has nothing to do with this film. Oh, interesting. Uh, John Glazer actually started with the novel uh and then as time went on, the novel is about a couple um, and, uh, they were going to exist on a farm and go, uh, out and cultivate these humans and bring them back and so forth. But, uh, he ended up stripping it down to just the bare bones themes and getting ScarJo in there. Uh, Scarlet Mojo, Jojo Hansen, uh, <laughs> doing a great job on this one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. anyway, what do we got for next week, buddy? All right, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into this, uh, new film here for a minute. Before we do, just want to let you guys know a couple places that you can find us. Of course, we are on the Twitter at Esoterica Cinema, as well as Instagram, same at Esoterica Cinema. You can find Ryan on a bunch of different platforms at the Ryan Seabold. You can find me, Jason Peters, on a bunch of the different platforms at Jason Aberrant. 
because I like to make it nice and easy for you guys to find me. So um, now the other thing I want to say is that, again, we, we made a point this season to make sure that you guys had access to our master list of films that we pull from at the end of every episode. Again, if you haven't listened to this before, this program that is, you know, we never know what film we're going to be doing the following week because we pull all of the films at the end of the episode in a random fashion. So we always really look forward to seeing what films that we pull and we thought that you guys might like to do the same. And of course, if you have no idea what this master list is, you can't really get excited about what may or may not be coming up. So Go to our website, okay? That's going to be, there. we've probably got it up a couple different places, but if nothing else, we do have the website live, esotericacinema.com, and there's going to be a link right there, very easy where you can see, hopefully it's up as a PDF word, like a couple different options going on, but either way, you can download that list and you can follow along every single week and keep track of what movies we've pulled and again, you know, hopefully if you if you like what we're about, you know, you can write us at esotericacinema at gmail.com and just tell us, like, hey, man, I'm really hoping you guys, you know, pull this movie. Love to hear you guys talk about it or also suggest stuff for our for us to replace for season three, because we're going to be taking 30 films off this list by the end of the season. And we're going to have to put 30 more on next year because we're going to keep that list at 200 going into each season. Uh, that way, only 15% of the list is pulled during a given season. And you have no idea what we're going to listen to. So, once again, esotericacinema.com. Play along at home. Ryan, we're going to get into this now, okay? And just to reiterate to anybody that hasn't played, so this was obviously our second episode, if you've been keeping track at home. The first one was Dead Alive, and the second one was Under the Skin. So, 188 for Under the Skin and 32 for Dead Alive should be crossed off your list of 200. Of course, leaving 198 films to choose from. So, Ryan, we are going to come to our random number generator. We are going to generate a random number for week three, and that number is 144. That's right, 12 times 12. Let's go down to 144 (laughs) on the list. Okay, Ryan, I am going to need you... To pull up a description, this is a number, another one that I don't 100% remember. Uh, it is called The Endless, and I believe it might be a sci-fi film, somewhat recent, low budget. From 2017, this is The Endless. That's the one. Tell us about it, buddy. From Justin Benson, as kids, they escaped a UFO death cult. Now, two adult brothers seek answers after an old videotape surfaces and brings them back to where they began. Uh, looks trippy as fuck, man. This is definitely one of your ads. Uh, I don't know. No, because I mean, I don't know what the fuck this is. This is <laughs> I'm looking at this. It's drama, fantasy, horror, not rated. Um, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure this is like an endless or I'm sorry. <laughs> endless. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it this is. was an indie production. Uh any, is there any chance this was by the guy who, or the guys who did Vast of Night? Does that ring any bells? I don't know. Either way, guys. So uh, check it. Stand by. I'm looking it okay. up. Hang okay. on, man, Okay. All right. No, it's not. No, it was not. Okay. <laughs> All right, well. No, it's from, uh, so here's the deal. Um, it is from uh, Justin Benson. Little bit of a uh, cool 
you're gonna you you don't give a shit about this, but it does look <laughs> like this is the guy that's uh, they they've put in charge of directing most of the episodes of Moon Knight with Jason Isaac, the MCU TV show that's coming out to Disney Plus. Oh wow! So awesome. yeah, I don't know if you were ever a Moon Knight guy. I know you're a comics guy. You're just not necessarily a Marvel movie guy. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. actually, Moon Knight is not anything that's on my radar. To be completely honest. Uh yeah, uh was it Jason Isaacs right? Isn't that the guy that plays uh Poe Dameron on on Star Wars and shit? And, uh, oh Oscar Isaac, well. Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, uh, let me take that over again. So yeah, this guy is the <laughs> guy that's directing Moon Knight for Disney Plus six episodes. Uh, he's got that under his belt. So this did lead him somewhere. He also did an episode of The Twilight Zone, the new one. Um, yeah, the Jordan Peele one, which so, was actually dog shit, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I did not oh, like I that like at it. all. You didn't like it? No, dude. I got oh, through I like three it. episodes and I was like, this is a far inferior Black Mirror. It does not deserve the good Rod Serling Twilight Zone name. Jordan Peele, you have disappointed me. Man. All right, guys. So once again, we are going to be looking at 2017's The Endless. Make sure to go ahead and check that out and join us next week for another episode of Esoterica Cinema. We'll see you then. Young man, listen to me. That girl's house, it's full of goo. Getting in that white van would be the worst decision you ever made. The JJ always looks sweeter in Scarlett Johansson's lake. You dream about going down there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here in this thick black goo. Such vast emptiness surrounds you, there's not much that you can do. Under the skin, under the skin. Dude, it's not better, down where it's wetter, do not get in. Beyond the earth, they make the kind, using an artificial mind. No heavy petting, it's not worth getting under the skin. Walt Disney presents, in association with B23 Studios, Under the Skin, a psychological musical by Jonathan Laser. From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great American anti-hero, Nick Ventner, in Whiteout. Nick is a bit of a lush, preferring whiskey to water and bar hopping to exercise. But when a mysterious benefactor hires Nick to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, Nick sobers up just enough to take on the case. Featuring non-stop action and a hilarious wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley is a laugh-a-minute thrill ride that will keep you turning the pages until the very end. Whiteout, available now in ebook, hardcover and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.